One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding a website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen .ca as the trusted online home for their business. Visit cira.ca forward slash startup today. And by DigitalOcean, simplifying web infrastructure by building a product that developers love. Visit DigitalOcean.com to find out more about why developers start and scale their startups on DigitalOcean. Use promo code StartupCA for a $10 credit to get started. Broadcasting the voice of entrepreneurs, putting entrepreneurs first and at the center. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Welcome to Startup Canada Podcast Show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, a grassroots entrepreneur-led movement to bring together, celebrate, and give a voice to Canada's entrepreneurship community. On the podcast, we speak with the movers and shakers of Canada's entrepreneurship community and explore themes in entrepreneurship, startups, investment, innovation, and impact. The podcast is brought to you by Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in starting and growing a financially fit and fundable business. Check out startupcan.ca backslash finance to sign up for a startup finance bootcamp near you and to get 50% off QuickBooks online for your business. This month, we are featuring some of Canada's leading high growth entrepreneurs. And as part of our Startup Entrepreneur Series today, we are speaking with Mr. John Baker, the founder and CEO of Almer's Ventures Back Company, Desire to Learn, an e-learning solution skill-up servicing the education sector, not only in Canada, but across the world. John founded Desire to Learn in 1999 after identifying his own fulfilled need for learning online while studying at the University of Waterloo. Of course, online learning has become much more than the norm, but it wasn't so when John started the company. And you might recall Desire to Learn's lengthy three-and-a-half-year-long lawsuit against Blackboard, Inc., and I can think it's probably felt longer for John, which because ultimately he ended up winning, which is just awesome. Today, Desire to Learn is used by over 15 million learners. By listening and working closely with students, they are changing the way the world is learning online. And during this interview, we're going to dive into a bunch of things about D2, D2L, the Waterloo tech ecosystem, building a global high-growth company, et cetera, et cetera. John, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much, Rivers. Look forward to talking with you. Yeah, we're going to have a good time on this one. So look, I got a quote for you, and it's a quote that you said. So I hope you remember what you meant by it, and maybe even when you said it. You said, it's kind of like the next Glutenberg moment. The printing process enabled a lot of people to receive a lot of great understanding of knowledge and what was going on in the world. This, I think, is even bigger, and that's a soda to you. Can you kind of expand on that quote? Well, I think if you look at uh, big transformations of industries uh, through time, uh, there aren't too many times where you actually see uh, this huge innovation curve uh, like we're going to see here today. Uh, we're, uh, we're transitioning from uh, traditional models of doing education uh, to this fully online experience, but it, all of a sudden it, it breaks down all these different barriers to accessing uh, learning. Right. And so Guten, Gutenberg opened it up. 
So uh, before him and the print press uh, and, and the team that uh, supported that, uh, you know, learning was very much uh, limited to an elite few. Uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, through the ability to spread the, uh, knowledge and, and education through the print, uh, all of a sudden, millions of more people could now be educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this moment in time, as you, as you look at uh, internet technology coming online, uh, we have an opportunity now to go from, you know, today there's a, uh, when I started, there was 100 million students in higher education. You know, I could see a future where there's a billion. Wow. Uh, and so this is a really critical moment in time in, in our history, uh, and it's our opportunity to really go out there and build it. Yeah, very cool. You know, I asked my grandfather, who was 93 when he died, about what was, he thought was one of the most important inventions that impacted his life and he, he said the printing press interesting enough and uh, he's the only one that's ever said that you know it wasn't the computer it was the printing press so uh, very cool stuff well look can you tell us a story that kind of led up to the uh, creation of d2l and you know it really started with your own need in university i guess well yeah so i started the company in my third year of university uh, attended school at the university of waterloo uh, and like many students, I uh, was, was thinking about what comes next. Uh, and in my case, I was preparing to go on to med school. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a moment in time where I was walking across campus and I, and I recognized how industries were being completely transformed, uh, whether it was how people bank or how my, ba- my dad was buying stamps to right. you know, basically all these different industries. But it was missing in education. Right. Uh, and I saw an opportunity to, to go out there and build a platform to really have a transformational impact on the educational experience, improve outcomes, break down barriers, solve all kinds of tough challenges, uh, and impact the lives of millions of people uh, in doing so. So jumped at the opportunity, started small, yes. uh, and uh, today we're you know closing in on over 850 people around the world. Fantastic. And did you ever have this vision? as to this happening to your journey in life, let alone a company that you're, you're, you founded and obviously has grown, have grown. Well, you know, I, I think uh, when you get started, I think, uh, especially as a, as a young student, uh, your ambition is always uh, bigger than, uh, the, you know, uh, than you, you probably imagine. So in, in our case, uh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I did see an opportunity for us to go out and have millions of people using uh, this type of an experience. Uh, I didn't know if it, it could be us. And I, and I certainly didn't uh, anticipate everything that uh, came along afterwards. Right. Uh, but I knew I had to get started. I right. knew that this was the future and and, uh, and quickly tried to rally a lot of great people to come to the company to help us execute against it. Who was your second person that you brought on your team? So in my, in my case, I, I hired my sister, my brother, my other brother, uh, and then some friends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it was a very, a very twi- tight qualification process. Am I related to you? <laughs> Well, well, at the time, I was actually uh, doing this out of my parents' house okay. uh, in in Holmesville, Ontario, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm not sure if you know where Holmesville is, but I it's don't. not even a ta- it's not even a town; it's a hamlet. Okay, uh, and its claim to fame is uh, Walt Disney's dad uh, was originally from there before moving down to the states. Okay, uh, and. You know, so so you didn't have a lot of tech talent in that community. Uh, so you know, I very quickly uh, it was the summertime. All my uh, family was uh, available, <laughs> so I so I quickly hired them. Uh, and you know, then we moved to Waterloo, obviously, as we continued the journey, uh, and have uh, very quickly hired uh, you know a lot of people from computer engineering, sure. computer science, and, and many of the different disciplines, if you will. Are, is, are all those family members still with you now? 
Uh, they're all still working at D2O. That's isn't, right. Isn't that interesting? Well, good for you because uh, family dynamics are very hard to uh, to balance business with with family. And so, congratulations on being able to uh, maintain that that personal connection with, of course, the, the professional growth. Look, um, uh, many entrepreneurs and forward thinkers advocate for younger people as early as two and three years old uh, to be taught about idea nurturing and innovation. Can you tell us how? D2O D2L is kind of uh, helping them or can help them? Well, I think the, the biggest thing that we're doing is we're, we're trying to transition education from just simply a consuming model. Mm-hmm. So you're you watching a lecture, uh, taking notes, uh, to creation model, uh, where we're engaging uh, students and learners uh, to create uh, their own experiences, build their own games, build their own content, build their own experiences, capture and share their learning along the way. Uh, and so it's the rebalancing of that, mm-hmm. uh, that that I think will spark a lot of new innovations uh, in the future. So as we uh, take uh, the outcomes for individual learners and help them achieve more with their life by improving the you know the, the quality of the experience, uh, then I think uh, we'll we'll do our part to contribute to the creation of more entrepreneurship uh, across uh, the country and around the world. Would, would you attribute that that uh, that way of thinking, strategic thinking, uh, with your with your platform also apply? To, uh, to entrepreneurs? Oh, abs- well, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and I look at uh, even my own journey. I remember, you know, working on uh, early computers and building games as a kid. Right. Uh, and so, uh, no question that uh, it, it, as soon as we, you know, shift people from thinking about just simply consuming something to uh, all the challenges that go into creating something, uh, then I think you've got that spark of uh, uh, what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, you know, desire to learn uh, is really the, the first of its kind. And uh, with any type of leadership position, there's always those that want to take you down, that really want that position that you're in. And, of course, you don't work in isolation. So how, do, how does your company stay ahead of the game? Well, in our case, we invest a lot in innovation. So we spend uh, uh, an incredible amount of time and energy and money on uh, making sure that we continue to put energy into research and development. Yes. Uh, so, you know, everything from hackathons uh, that we host uh, at least quarterly, uh, some teams more often. Uh, being able to make sure that we ship code every, uh, in some cases every day, other cases every month. Uh, to make sure that we stay agile and, and uh, keep listening to the market, keep getting the feedback. Uh, and then in our case, we use a lot of data science, uh, learning science, uh, to really start to understand uh, the impact that we're having. So uh, instead of just simply trying to launch a new product and and seeing uh, whether people buy it or not, uh, in our case, we've defined what we call our mission metrics. So are we driving better adoption? So are there more people adopting it? Uh, are we improving learning outcomes? So are more students getting A's and B's with this new feature, new functionality? Right. Are we are we seeing uh, better you know graduation rates, retention rates uh, by adding some functionality? So we actually really purposefully uh, try to measure and even predict uh, the impact of uh, changes that we're making to the system. Uh, so that combination of uh, just 
really strong belief in hiring top talent and supporting research and supporting new idea generation and innovation models uh, combined with uh, measuring our impact that we're having, I think is a great virtuous circle that just keeps, uh, keeps feeding each other. In the beginning, did you, uh, did you find yourself doing the measurements the, against the key performance indicators uh, or was it just kind of like, you know, let's, let's just keep going until it stops. Well, I think in the early days, uh, you know, it was more just hearing the stories. Yes. So it wasn't wasn't real measurement. It was parents writing in emails or, or sending actual handwritten notes saying how uh, our platform was changing their life right. uh, by, you know, a kid that would no longer have to leave their community to learn uh, right. because there was no high school, for example. So you get informal feedback or you hear from a teacher or, or from an instructor uh, about how they've improved retention or by using a, a tool. Uh, and, and since then, we've, we've uh, built out a, a team that actually does the actual measurement. So you're right. Uh, in the early days, uh, you know, while we looked uh, for, for some type of measurement, uh, it was, it was uh, a lot more of it was driven by stories. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, well, let's see. I mean, ultimately, the customer's the hero, right? So is, if they seem to be happy, then you're probably on to something good. Well, <laughs> you've got to build an emotional connection with mm-hmm. your product. Uh, and, and it has to go beyond just simply being able to, to solve a workflow, in my opinion, yeah. uh, if you're interacting with uh, especially learners and educators and, and parents and you name it. Um, and so by solving real challenges or driving for better engagement or trying to improve, uh, you know, the promotion of the technology through that relationship with that, uh, you know, student or, or instructor, uh, all of a sudden uh, we're able to drive uh, continued growth. And in our case, you know, we've managed to retain 98% of our customers every year or better every year for 16 years. And that comes from that tight feedback loop. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, very cool. Um, John, you mentioned uh, just earlier in our conversation about the, the young man who was in the country and couldn't get to high school. Um, do you find yourself across this country anyway, and I know in my own province in New Brunswick, you know, there's a great demand for governments to reduce the physical buildings in rural areas. So are you finding your company is, 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 is tapping into that, uh, into that market opportunity? Well, absolutely. So very similar to how we all use uh, cell phones today right. uh, and wireless is transforming what used to be traditional landline experience. Uh, virtual learning, uh, online learning is transforming uh, the need for uh, buildings to be continually built. Uh, I, I don't think uh, the traditional uh classrooms or schools are, are going to go away. Uh, but I think uh, as, as more students pick uh, online experiences to complement what they're happening uh, on campus, if you will, uh, you're going to see the requirement for, for buildings uh, diminish. Uh, a great example would be uh, the University of Waterloo or Guelph or, or in your area, the University of New Brunswick, uh, or UNB, I should say, yep. uh, you know, or, or even Moncton. Right. Uh, those, those are examples of schools now where in some cases, one out of every five courses being taken by an on-campus student uh, is online. Really interesting. And, yeah. and so if you think about the math on that, that's uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in building savings uh, by simply uh, freeing up uh, the space, which enables uh, these schools or universities uh, to really reallocate their capital into other areas. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it also gives them a lot more flexibility to grow 
uh, with existing infrastructure. Right. right. And then when you think globally, uh, when you look at uh, the whole world, uh, this is really the only scalable model for us to ever achieve uh, the reach that we need to, if 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 our goal is to get to a billion students uh, using uh, or or participating in learning in a much more meaningful way than they are today. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, my daughter, she goes to King's College in Halifax, and she's uh, she just spent a semester in France. She's coming back. She's now under stress because uh, she's got to finish within four years. Because if she doesn't, then all of a sudden, you know, she's in a situation. She's got to go back, spend money for an apartment, do all that kind of stuff. And then she says, well, wait a minute now, I can take some stuff online and I could take it in Vancouver and still get my degree. There isn't that that panic of finish, finishing because of the need to physically be there. So um, it's, uh, it's a great reinforcement in, from my perspective as a parent to the value of what it is that you're doing. Um, well, and, that, and that's a great example too, by the way. Um, okay. I, I don't know if you know, but uh, that's pretty rare. Uh, Canada is actually one of the leading countries in the world when it comes to uh, graduation rates for university students and, and on-time completions. Okay. Uh, one of the top two in, in, in uh, the world. If you look just south of the border in the U.S., yeah. uh, only only 46% of students finish in six years. Wow. Uh, and so just, just think about that for a moment. Uh, and it's not much better in eight years. And, and so if, if you... Uh, that on-time completion challenge is is a big challenge uh, globally, uh, and and you're you're citing the reasons. Uh, you know whether they're working or traveling or trying to join the work you know force in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all these different pressures. If you're a single mom trying to raise your kids mm-hmm. at the same time as finishing an undergrad or graduate uh, program, uh, you have you have these challenges and and actually showing up to a particular location at a particular time, uh, and. All of a sudden now with online, uh, you can now schedule things uh, you know, very effectively and very efficiently. And so uh, it creates this new opportunity for us to help more people reach their potential in life a yeah. lot faster. Yeah, and, and not having to leave the institution with this uh, humongous $100,000 student <laughs> loan debt associated with it. Exactly. Yeah, very cool. Um, well, look, uh, you know, uh, you've uh, obviously had some great experience in business, building business, not only from a, a domestic perspective, but from an international perspective, too. What, what do you think Canada needs to do? An election going on now. What does Canada need to do to take entrepreneurship to that next level so that we can support, we can support more, uh, more startups like, uh, like your organization to become high growth firms? Well, I think we've got to help entrepreneurs network with each other right. uh, and really be able to build these clusters, if you will. Uh, and it doesn't have to be physical clusters. Uh, I'm obviously a big fan of virtual. Sure. Uh, there's, there's no harm with uh, building a virtual networks. Uh, a, a great example, you know, we have some technology called Capture, uh, which allows us to share video feeds of uh, whatever is being talked about in a, in a classroom. Uh, we also have uh, some entrepreneurship hubs, for example, that are broadcasting all the talks uh, that occur uh, in those hubs so that other entrepreneurs from the, the broader community, if you will, uh, can benefit from the wisdom or the knowledge or the experiences being shared, just like you're doing this podcast. Right on. Uh, and so uh, there's no reason why we start, can't start connecting uh, entrepreneurs up. Uh, I think you need uh, more investment. Uh, you know, we're doing a much better job today than we were just a few years ago. Uh, but again, you know, more pension funds getting involved, uh, more uh, groups getting in, into angel investment. Uh, these are all things that are going to go uh, a long way. 
but we also need to start uh, helping educate entrepreneurs on how to win globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether that's, uh, you know, uh, you alluded to it earlier, whether it's understanding IP and understanding uh, how to compete uh, in, in global markets, those are all really important. You know, CG, for example, in, in Waterloo, a Center for International Governance and Innovation, is uh, putting on free legal clinics for, for entrepreneurs here. Right. Uh, you know, we're, we're also looking at trying to partner up with others to do a MOOC uh, in this area or massive open online course so that other entrepreneurs uh, could benefit from uh, this great advice on, on how to make sure that they're building uh, companies that can scale and will last. Uh, and then, you know, I also think uh, we need to do more uh, to hook up great innovation hubs uh, with traditional industry. Mm-hmm. So a good example, I also chair uh, Communitech uh, here in Waterloo, is we're trying to do a lot more pairing up of uh, what we're doing in Waterloo with what, what's happening in Toronto or other areas around the world. Right. Uh, so creating landing pads for entrepreneurs so that as you go to, you know, the Valley or as you go to New York or as you go to Singapore, uh, we've got good landing spots for you and, and it can help you get networked into those communities quickly. Uh, but also being able to take care of the you know critical mass of talent that's required uh, to feed these organizations. You know, in our, in our case, we're we're hunting for dozens of new uh, employees uh, every week, uh, and <laughs> we've got to be able to hook up with big cities like Toronto or others uh, where we can actually start pulling some of that talent. Uh, so yeah. you even got things like. Uh, as, as you look at the election, infrastructure challenges that are an opportunity there to create high-speed rail, to, to do other things, uh, to make sure that we can have the flow of people and ideas uh, occur uh, much faster than they are today. Yeah, I, I love the fact that Toronto, the airport now, has got that train running into downtown. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's, it was so, so, so needed for, uh, for transporting people quickly from the airport. So simple as that. Exactly. Yeah, very and, cool. And it's, and it's already designed so we can have a nice connection from Waterloo to, to, to that line. Nice, we just nice. need to build it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Now, I'm sure it was the chair of Communitech. You were somehow involved with that. There's many great people at Communitech that are uh, doing much, much, much more work than I am. Well, you know, but, it's, uh, it's interesting you, you say that much more. There's other people. I love the thought, the common theme that's coming from the entrepreneurs that I talk to. Team, 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 team. Nobody's taking credit for doing it all, and nor should they, by the way. I mean, it really is a team sport. So you've just reinforced it again. And you know, somebody as successful as you are saying it's not me. It's it's really everybody else, and the humility that comes with that. So uh, very cool. Um, John, you talked about you talked about funding becoming more accessible, pension funds participating more in funding and things like that with with the startup community. Why is that the case? Is it because it's the cool thing to do or are there actually better returns happening now for those uh, for those funds through the startup uh, ecosystem? Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, as, as we build a bigger funnel of startups, which uh, is happening all across the country and, and even globally, mm-hmm. Uh, so even when I go to other cities around the world, you're, you're, we're creating this much bigger funnel. Uh, and so, uh, it's, you know, pension funds, I don't think would get in at that really early stage other than maybe with a little bit of risk capital. Uh, but uh, I think just being there for, you know, whether it's a Series A or Series B or Series C, uh, being able to create uh, mechanisms where they can invest uh, to to, to really, uh, at the end of the day, provide the returns that they're going to need long term as well. Uh, many other, uh, you know, in investment groups are uh, seeing uh, the need to pick up uh, investment into these uh, private companies uh, before they go public. Uh, and there's no reason why, uh, you know, pension funds across the country couldn't be doing that as well. Yeah. It's, you know, investment is one, one of the is, is, is a fuel uh, that enables our best companies uh, to really excel. 
Uh, and, you know, the more that we can in- encourage those that uh, do manage their portfolios to have at least some of their allocation uh, in this area, I think is, is a wise idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, John, you're a busy man. Uh, how do you give me? Sorry, not how do you give it? Give me a what's a what's a day in the life of John Baker look like? <laughs> I I, uh, I I wake up in the morning. Uh, tell my tell my wife I love her. Uh, nice, nice, race, nice beginnings. Race to the office. Uh, you know, in in my case, uh, I, I try to start the day every day with just creating a list of uh, the key things that need to get done that day. Right. Uh, making sure that we scratch those off. Uh, also, spend, try to try to spend time each day. Uh, you know, whether it's an hour or two, whatever can be squeezed into the schedule. Just thinking about strategy, thinking about the things that are going to be needed to be tackled in the future. So that, you know, uh, you know, my job as a CEO is really to to take care of what uh, needs to be done. You know, three to five to ten years from now. Right. Uh, and and trust that the team is going to be executing on you know what's happening today yeah uh and then also you know just tackling uh, some of the big issues that uh that come up uh, from time to time sure. that uh that need your attention yeah even you have to go through a swamp every now and then right yeah <laughs> well of course of course well and talking about swamps okay uh and by the way i do have to ask you a question when you are into that strategic reflection does your team know that that's part of your day uh I think many of them do. Uh, I don't. I don't know if uh, the whole company probably does not. Right, uh, right. But the but, ones that work close to you do, because I just imagine you're sure. you're looking out your window of your office and, and your feet up on your desk, and you know, to you, you're spending that hour doing very productive stuff. Other people are saying, "Geez, that John, he doesn't do anything. He's back there sitting back with his uh, feet up on his chair all the time." And so, I agree with that reflection. I agree with that thought process, and I think it's important that team members know that that's the job of the CEO. So, so I'm wondering how how they might uh, your team knows that that's part of your responsibilities. Yeah, well, for starters, uh, there is no office anywhere in the in our any of our office okay. space. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's pretty pretty tough to do that. Yeah, right on. Uh, and, and in my case, I, I share uh, my reflections with my team. Right. So you know, w- whether it's new product ideas or directions or long term strategy pieces, uh, there's really no secrets. I I, I try to keep uh, all of our leadership uh, abreast of what's uh, what's being thought about or, or being discussed or yeah. or or new directions. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think you'd be a hard, I hope you'd be hard pressed to find uh, any <laughs> organization that thinks I, I sit there in an office with my feet on my desk. Yeah. Well, it, 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 to me, it's a reinforcement of the importance of doing that, 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 that reflection time is, is critical. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, very, very important to, to take the company where it needs to go. John, yeah, got- and, 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 and on that, like, it doesn't have to happen in the office either. Right. right? So, right. Uh, like I, like one of my favorite, favorite spots to reflect is this little pub in Melbourne, Australia. So every time I go to Australia, I, I always find time to spend an afternoon on a Sunday or, or perhaps on a Saturday uh, and just sit there and, and brainstorm ideas. Uh, some of which, have, you know, like I remember one afternoon, uh, I think there's been four or five patents filed uh, on just the ideas from one afternoon. So, wow. you know, there's no reason why uh, innovation has to happen sort of like, uh, you know, uh, as a planned activity, this this uh, ability for you to, 
to draw inspiration from uh, other locations or as you travel is also important. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, look, um, I've got one more question for you, and I'm going to give you back to your team. And it has to do with the whole area of, uh, of giving back. Uh, you've been a uh, you've been a, a, a key contributor to uh, obviously the national landscape and the uh, the local landscape in Waterloo. You've been a member of, of advisory boards of uh, several academies, including University of Waterloo, Stratford, and and the National Ballet Academy. Which uh, is on another day, I'd be very interested in why you've chosen. That. I have a friend of mine; his daughter is actually attending that academy from Fredericton, so it's very cool. What's your opinion on on when business founders should start the process of giving back if they should at all. I mean, obviously you think that they should, but you know, is it, should it begin at the beginning? What's that time period look like when it's okay. Now I should start doing it. Well, there's a, there's a Japanese proverb that says uh, to teach is to learn. Right. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, for any entrepreneur, I think the idea of being able to, to share insight, uh, share wisdom, share experiences, uh, to invest uh, in the local community is also to receive as well, right? right. So it's uh, it's this con- constant virtuous circle. So in my case, uh, I benefited so much from entrepreneurs that were ahead of me uh, and giving me advice uh, and inspiration. And so you know, I tend to pay it back. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 that and you, you constantly have that. So it doesn't matter what stage you're at. Uh, what I find in, in Waterloo Region, at least, uh, is that you always have people that are ahead of you, and you always have people that are racing to catch up and pass you. Right. And so that flow of, of experiences and helping each other through challenges and helping, uh, you know, uh, tackle the issues of the day, if you will, uh, that's important. Mm. And I think the better aligned you are around those and the better that you can actually pull together the community, uh, it enables you to, to all uh, be able to tackle the challenges that you're facing, whether it's talent attraction, infrastructure investment, whatever it might be. Uh, being able to have that uh, unified voice is uh, is very important. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, you know, and, and you got Ted Livingston as a great example of someone that uh, gave uh, first round of investment, gave a million dollars back to the University of Waterloo to spark velocity uh, and more investment in velocity. And I, right. and I can tell you that has had a massive impact. Uh, you know, a million dollars maybe doesn't seem like a lot of money for an investment, but uh, when you're a student and you get a check for $25,000, uh, I can tell you that means a, a world of difference, yeah. uh, and and many other companies have been spawned because of that. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't think you can give back too early. Uh, I think it's you just got to figure out, you know, what's right for you, uh, and and make sure that uh, you don't get this entirely distracted by that and that you're also you know very very focused on building your own organization so you got to have a little bit of uh that behavior of uh understanding that uh, as you're contributing you've got to be learning uh at the same time otherwise uh you know you're, you're very quickly diluting what you're doing from building your own company yeah very cool very cool. John, I, I wish we had more time. Uh, I, it was just a, a real pleasure to get you for this half an hour and your busy schedule. And uh, we can't thank you enough for, for doing that. And of course, you're going to, this words of advice and uh, perspective are going to go to thousands of people across the country. So that's valuable enough and you continue to give back. So thank you very much for your time today. 
Rivers, thanks very much for the interview and uh, thank you for all that you do to support entrepreneurship across the country. Thank you, sir, very much. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been John Baker, founder of Desire to Learn, a company that's changing the way the world looks at education. You are listening to Startup Canada podcast show. Startup Canada is your doorway into Canada's entrepreneurship community. Be sure to check out the website startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular startup chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, where we're going to deep dive into a startup topic with an expert guest. And if you want to hang out with me, which I hope you do, you can find me at riverscorporate.ca where I am talking about lots of entrepreneurial stuff and just like John, giving back as much as I can because I totally buy into his philosophy. Until next time, I'm Rivers Corbett and have an enterprising week.